Justin Shears and welcome to Only a Northern Song. In this series, I'll be exploring the words and the music of the Beatles, but not through the usual tracks that we all know so well. I'll be delving into my extensive collection of outtakes, home recordings and demos, alternate mixes and interviews, to shed some new light on lesser known aspects of the Beatles' recorded legacy. Whether they knew it or not, by the time July 1969 rolled around, the Beatles were in the midst of recording what would become their Swan Song LP. After the relatively dismal Get Back sessions only six months earlier, whose fruits had been stored away for the time being, the band had come together for a more productive set of sessions. With George Martin once more at the helm, a new array of songs from all four Beatles had already been preserved on tape. A track which had premiered during the Get Back sessions, Paul's 1950s inspired Oh Darling, had been perfected during the summer, or at least its backing track had been. Paul was keen to give it a classic rock and roll edge through its vocal, which invited a more inventive approach to its recording than previous Beatle belters had to this point. Paul would arrive early to sessions in order to record multiple takes of his lead vocal without warming up to try to capture each take as raw as possible. In true 1950s style, Paul also asked for some classic tape echo to be applied through his headphones, a technique used by John for several years already. This would give him the ambience he needed to capture the perfect take. Let's listen in as Paul prepares for one of these takes, talking to the engineers in the control room to get the effects just right. That's a bit more like it. Turn that replay off, if you can. I think I'll have to have sink in the can. Well, you said you wouldn't leave me, Mama. But you know, you went and did it. Did it, did it, did it, do it. Sure it did, sure it did, sure it did, sure it did. What would darling please believe me? Hello there. Well, 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 well. Well. There's too much replay, though. It's beginning to feed back with this rifle. Woo hoo Well, that old muskina. Let me tell you. How much I love, love you, love you, yes I really love you, oh don't you know, well, 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 when you told me that you love me, I can't hear nothing in my hippo. I can't hear nothing in my hippo. Hear your lady. 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 
It sounds all right. Is that three and a half? Oh, yes, it sure is. Yes, you better believe it. Come on, folks. Let me hear it. Oh, the delirium of it all. Oh, darling, please believe me. I'll never do you no harm. Believe me when I tell you. I'll never do you no harm, no, no, no harm. When you told me you didn't need me anymore, well, you know I nearly broke down and died. <clears throat> I can't hear that in my earphones. I can hear it a little too loud now. Quite a crackle off the replay speaker. Is that just a three and a half? Oh, it's all right, though. Oh!
a reconstruction of take 26 of Oh Darling, complete with one of Paul's unused vocal experiments. By the 23rd of July, Paul felt that there was enough in the can to piece together a mastered vocal take from three separate recordings, sometimes soloed, sometimes double-tracked for extra depth, a task left to veteran Abbey Road studio engineers Jeff Emmerich and Phil McDonald. The result, as all Beatles fans know, was one of Paul's most memorable performances. One, two. Oh, darling.
Also on the 23rd of July, the initial recording for the LP's closing track was committed to tape. The track was remarkable for two very important reasons. Firstly, it was the first time ever on a Beatles recording that Ringo's drum kit was recorded in stereo. Even though producer Glyn Johns had utilised more than one track to capture Ringo's drums during the Get Back sessions at Apple Studios, and a similar technique was used for recording I Want You, She's So Heavy at the very start of the Abbey Road sessions, this was the first time that the drums had been spread across the stereo picture on two tracks. Admittedly, this would have been harder to achieve with four-track tape and nigh-on impossible with two-track tape. But with a whopping eight tracks now to play with, anything was possible. Secondly, and perhaps most importantly, it was the first and only drum solo to appear on a Beatles record. Why? Ringo simply hated them. He never thought it appropriate to take centre stage, preferring to just keep the beat with some great fills to keep each and every track together. The others finally convinced him to go all out and have his moment in the sun. And to finish it off, because everything has an end, or every album has an end, uh, we, we did a track called The End, and it's, you know, it finishes it. And The End is just the end. It's just a little uh, sort of sequence which ends it all. Take three of the basic track for The End, complete with an alternative version of Ringo's famous drum solo. Seven takes were recorded in all, with the last take being marked as best. A bit of piano was added by Paul, and a couple of guitar licks by John and George were added before the band called it a night. 
When we consider that early Beatles records were mixed to mono first, and always with great care and attention, with stereo mixes being made very quickly, often after the band had gone home, the Beatles were now beginning to accept that stereo was king. As this chat with fellow Liverpudlian Kenny Everett reveals. Does it annoy you that most people listen to your stuff on transistors and little tiny records? Uh, well, it doesn't annoy me, but it's a, a pity because they miss it. You know, they miss most of the uh, hard work we put in, you know, getting lovely sounds on things and especially stereo, because even if people have stereo players, not many have really good equipment or the famous stereo earphones that you so often talk about. That's the best way to hear That it. is the best way, yes. Mm. And um, it's a pity, but I don't get mad at them. Do you like my beard? I love it. Darling. Do you like mine? <laughs> you seem to be getting hairier nowadays. Yes, all the time. You got any plans for cutting it? I just chew the bits that go in the mouth <laughs> and just bite the bits off and spit them out and say it's all my expense. Well, thank you, George. <clears throat> By mid-afternoon the following day, Paul was back in the studio before the others, but true to form, didn't waste the studio time available to him. Instead, he recorded a one-man multi-track demo for Apple band The Ivies, soon to be renamed Badfinger for the soundtrack of Ringo and Peter Sellers' new film, The Magic Christian. Rather than bashing out a simple demo on his piano at home at Cavendish Avenue, Paul made more of a production out of it. Red light. Demo take one. If you want it, here it is, come and get it. Yeah. 
Okay, give us it on headphones and I'll track it. Recorded on the 24th of July 1969, the one-take demo of Come and Get It. Beginning with piano and live vocal on track one, Paul then added a second vocal and maracas to track two, before adding drums to track three and bass guitar to track four. With the recording finished, a quick stereo mix was made and a copy given to Paul to hand over to Badfinger. Not bad considering the whole process took less than one hour. Others arrived at Abbey Road and wandered down to the studio floor, preparing to begin another track from the medley which would eventually make up side two of the LP. The Beatles warmed up with a reminiscence of their very first recording sessions in Hamburg with Tony Sheridan way back in 1961, which must have seemed a whole lifetime ago. A relatively competent rendition of Ain't She Sweet, the 1927 jazz standard, played in the style of Gene Vincent's 1956 record, captured on the floor of Studio 2 on the 24th of July. Surprisingly good, seeing the band probably hadn't played it since 1961. With a jam of two more Gene Vincent numbers, Who Slapped John and Bebopalula, it was time to get down to work. 
more successful in their songwriting? Well, see, the trouble with asking a question like that is you get an answer which could sound big-headed, because I think it's because we write good songs, you know. don't think there's anything no, other, there other than that. why you write good songs? I don't know. No, I don't know. You know, I think, like, John and I is a good combination, because I'm very, uh, you know, if I'm left on my own to write songs, I'll write songs that, uh, that are a bit sloppy, which I like, you know, I'm, I'm sort of a bit more sentimental on the surface. And now, John will write sort of harder songs, so that if we come together, then you get a bit of each, you know, you get a bit of this cup of tea, folks. <laughs> you get a bit of uh, the sloppy stuff and a bit of the hard stuff, you know, so then you get a nice combination, you know. When it came to making the what became known as the long one on the other side of the album, which was me and Paul trying to get things together, John became interested and saw what we were doing, and he would actually say, I've got a bit that might fit in here. So he became interested in the idea after all, and, well, it gradually evolved, and we were able to make this piece of music that lasted quite a few minutes on for one side of the record, and John got his individual bits on the other. Taking up the challenge of adding to Paul and George Martin's idea of a medley section, John reached back into his Get Back Sessions songbook to revive two numbers which he would segue. The beautifully dreamy Sun King, which had premiered on the very first day of filming at Twickenham. And Mean Mr Mustard, a comedic number inspired by yet another newspaper article, this time telling the tale of a man who was so cheap that he wouldn't even turn the lights on to shave. The song had first been written in India in January 1968, demoed at George's house in Isha in the May of that year for possible inclusion on the White Album, but had never made it into the studio. I wrote it in India, so that was pre-The Be- the Beatles' double album, so it's that old. And it was from some newspaper clipping that the title was Me, Mr Mustard, about some guy done something or other. You know, but of course the story's nothing like him, you know, it just, that was, it was like the newspaper title heading. Yeah, because in fact it's quite short as well. Yeah, well that's another half a song which I never finished, you know, so I put it in there. Me, Mr Mustard, which is John's as well, is one of, you know, you'll tell it's one of John's when you hear it. Mustard sleeps in the bar, shaves in the dark, trying to save paper. Sleeps in a hole in the road, saving up to buy some clothes. Keeps a ten bob note up his nose. He's such a mean old man. Die. 
hole in the road Saving up to buy some clothes Keeps a ten bob note up his nose He's such a mean old man Come January 1969, John dragged it out again, this time sitting behind the electric piano, and tried to get it up and running as a live jam, but again to no avail. With the idea of an extended medley already in train, the decision was made to record Sun King and Mean Mr Mustard together, like Golden Slumbers and Carry That Weight, mainly to make editing all the various tracks together more seamless by the end. When it came time to think of an arrangement for Sun King, John shamelessly nicked the feel from British blues legend Peter Green to provide the bed for his latest creation. With swirling laid-back guitars and bass, as well as tom-toms and cymbals played with mallets instead of sticks, Fleetwood Mac's Albatross was too good a sound to resist. And that's where we would descend to be Fleetwood Mac for a few minutes. See, we did the, the introductions, we call it the sun riff, you know, the little instrumental bit was like Fleetwood Mac before we start singing. Sun King is a bit of sort of John's thing, which has got a funny bit. It's like, uh, I think John called this one Lost Paranoia. Now this won't keep the Apple staff in work for the next 10 years, lads. We've got all those families to look after, you know. A lot of people to keep. Okay, fab gear, some earphones. <laughs> George is getting silly, George. Sir, George is getting silly. <laughs> okay. One, two, three, four. Thank you. 
God save the queen. Only place that he's ever been. God save the queen. But always shouts out something obscene. He's such a dirty old man. Dirty old man. Recorded late on the 24th of July 1969, take 20 of John's Sun King and Mean Mr. Mustard. All in all, 35 takes would be recorded, with take 35 being deemed the best of these. Work would resume on the track the following day. Well, that's it for this episode. Join us next time when even more bits and pieces of song from John and Paul are added to the mix as the Abbey Road sessions continue. Until next time, 